Hello, and welcome to a more perfect podcast. Today, we are going to be covering a crisis that I believe to be equivalent, if not greater than, the coronavirus pandemic. But before I get to that, I really just kind of want to update you guys on why this episode took so long. The real meat of today's episode starts around the one minute mark if you would like to skip this and get straight to that. Very recently, I graduated from my freshman year of college and obviously got to take my exams and all that garbage to I also celebrated my 19th birthday, and that means I got a, um, well, I ended up getting a upgraded setup. I got, I got this thing called a preamp, and I also got loaned a new microphone. Previously, I was just using whatever I could get my hands on, which was not a microphone and definitely not a preamp. And three, I, I actually just lost this episode because the preamp came with a program, and I was editing this episode in that program, and then the program just literally pooped on me and it just lost the entire audio file, so that was like two weeks of work. Um, but, but anyways, today we're gonna to be covering a crisis called governmental mismanagement. And governmental mismanagement, as some libertarians would have you believe, is pretty self-explanatory. Libertarians would have you believe that it's just what the government does like all the time. And if you don't believe it, then you're, you're a communist. communist. It's, it's, it's not that heated, bro. Like, it's, it's, it's actually a lot more complex than some liberals would, or, or some libertarians would have you believe. So we're gonna get into that today. And we're gonna get into it by focusing on a frequently unfocused on perspective, so to speak, because most people focus on the domestic. Most people focus on, you know, evil Trump and all that domestic stuff. But I feel like to understand what's going on here, what's, go, what's going on here with, you know, Trump and with the Democrats, we have to get some perspective. And so to get that perspective, I have turned to a country in South America. It's actually at the top of South America, and it is called Venezuela. Now, Venezuela is a country that is ruled by a dictator named Nicolas Maduro and his socialist administration. The governmental mismanagement there is completely insane, and it is the apt example of the crisis that I will be talking about. To cover them, though, I've kind of done it in a unique way. So I actually got to interview a person that comes directly from Venezuela, and she would be my friend named Camilla. Her answers came in Spanish, so I also had to get them translated by my friend Francia, who translated them into English, as you will hear. And with these questions, I wanted to collect a perspective that shows you not necessarily the politics side of things, although we will be hitting on that, but it really just illustrates how it's like to live in Venezuela. If you had to live there for a week, what would it be like? And these questions really do answer that. The first question that I had for Camilla was this. Do you feel the presence of the government every single day? Give an example of how the government in Venezuela affects your everyday life as a Venezuelan. And this is what she had to say to that question. They don't support us in anything. There isn't any police security. There is low salary. There's very little food acquisition. The crop shipments come every few months. There's a shortage of gasoline and the wines are endless. There's high inflation and security. The value of the American dollar keeps rising and there's lack of transportation. Our feelings towards the government is very negative. They only do things for the community when it's convenient for them and for publicity, such as cleaning the main streets. So when I heard that, I was completely shocked. I, I, I couldn't really imagine 
how a country could go through such terrible, terrible times. I mean, I live in America, after all. We don't really have those things here, at least not to that level. So it was very puzzling to me. And upon my research, I discovered that Venezuela actually produces some of the most oil in the entire world, which made it even more puzzling because if, and as you heard, they actually have a gasoline shortage and a transportation shortage there, and I really couldn't imagine. I mean, they're sitting on top of the largest, one of the largest, at least, oil reserves in the entire world. I mean, like, what the hell is going on here? Why are you people having a, you know, all these shortages? And so when I looked further into it, the answer became completely clear, unfortunately clear. According to an article from Bloomberg titled, Soldiers are protecting the last drops of gasoline in Venezuela. The few gas stations still open in Caracas, which is the capital of Venezuela, are manned by armed soldiers. And those waiting to fill their vehicles in day-long, not hour-long, but day-long lines are only security personnel and designated medical and food suppliers. Jorge Gallegos a dairy products driver spent 10 hours last Wednesday at a gas station. He's losing two days per week just filling up his tank. He said, I arrived at 4 a.m. and I won't be able to deliver products today, which means that since he's a dairy products driver, nobody gets their milk. Another person, Christian Acuna, says, It's been terribly problematic. He's a owner of a restaurant in eastern Caracas. Delivery personnel failed to show up at work due to the lack of public transportation, so we've had to offer pickup service only, which would obviously decrease the amount of food that's getting to the people in Venezuela because obviously they too, like us here in the United States, cannot go and eat at restaurants anymore because of the virus. In case you ever wanted the situation to get even worse for this country, don't worry, it's called a pandemic for a reason because it's global. Also, in case you're one of those smart cookies that says, well, you, you, you just said that they could, uh, pick it up. Like, what, what, what kind of idiot is this guy? Like, you idiots, if the dairy product drivers are having trouble getting gasoline and the gas stations are manned by armed soldiers, then how are the people supposed to get to the freaking restaurants if they too don't have gas? They would have to walk all the way across a dangerous dangerous city, as we'll see later, to get there. You also could be wondering, okay, well they have all this oil, why won't they just trade the oil for the gasoline? And that's because smaller and inexperienced traders have been declining the trade. PDVSA, which is the government-owned company that manages Venezuela's oil, has been trying to trade three barrels of oil for one barrel of gasoline. And if you know anything about economics or you have any sort of common sense, that's an unfair and honestly unbalanced trade. One more thing about this gasoline shortage though, because it only gets worse. According to Reuters, since late 2019, United States officials have asked most of Venezuela's fuel suppliers to avoid sending gasoline to the crisis-stricken nation. You see, the United States wants Maduro out of there, so the U.S. Treasury Department sanctioned Venezuela's state-run Petróleos de Venezuela, or the PDVSA, as I said earlier, over a year ago, uh, specifically in 2017, as a measure to oust socialist 
President Nicolas Maduro, who Donald Trump's administration considers a dictator usurping power. The United States is, however, allowing Venezuela to receive diesel, and the Reuters article says that while the officials did not explain why they were distinguishing between the two fuels, meaning diesel and regular gasoline, Reuters thinks that diesel is mainly used for power generation and bulk transport of cargo, uh, including food, while gasoline is mostly used for personal travel. The Reuters article continues when it says that the Venezuelan government blames the United States sanctions on the country for the shortage of gasoline, and as we will seriously cover later, they, for one, aren't the only ones blaming the Trump administration, and two, they're liars. Complete liars. But we will, we will definitely get to that later. The most shocking thing I found about the gasoline shortage and transportation shortage actually came from a little video over at VOA News, which I did link in the description. A woman said that we live like animals, running to be able to get on a bus. The shortage of transportation there means that they have to use cattle cars instead of buses to get around Caracas. Cattle cars, yes, you heard me right, the ones that you see on 90 or on 75 as you're driving down trying to get to work. That is insane. That's something that I haven't really heard of since I read in my history books about the people being transported on cattle cars to, to go to the concentration camps. So that, if, if anything, that should really underline how bad it really is over there. For now, I want to move on to my second question for Camilla because I feel like we've spent long enough on this gasoline shortage. My second question to Camilla was on this note of the government being bad. And it was, do you feel injustice in your community for government actions? And here's what she had to say to that question. It's completely shocking. There's no respect whatsoever towards the Constitution. The police doesn't act based on the law, and they can be bribed with money or food. They take advantage of their power, and they only make it count when it's convenient for them, or when they want something in exchange, or they just take what they want. Not everyone receives a clap box, which is a box that contains food supplements provided by our government. And it's not something that we get monthly. It comes once every several months. Plus the lack of water and electricity and the rationing of that water and electricity. For example, one may go from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. with no power. Very little electricity. Very little power. A corrupt police force. The country in Venezuela is in a hellish state, if I do say so myself. But, as per usual, it only gets worse the further you look into it. In March of 2019, Venezuelans across the nation got an awful, awful experience with this power outage when the entire nation went into a total blackout. This was blamed by the Venezuelan government on the Americans cause this to happen. You should just hate them and totally not question us. In case that irritated you, it's not true. You see, the power outage was actually caused by severe underinvestment by Maduro and his socialist cronies. Don't believe anything, as I'll probably say a million times this episode, don't believe anything that comes out of a socialist or, for that matter, communist country. Ever. Oh yeah, and side note, that power outage wasn't the only 
nationwide blackout. They've had many, many since then, and it was it, it's, it's just totally unacceptable. So to continue on this note of electricity shortage, I also watched this Vox News, or maybe it was Vice News documentary, where this woman couldn't refrigerate her insulin, she was diabetic, and she had to take it anyways. All of her food, which was so hard fought for, and is which is so scarce in Venezuela, had gone bad. Power outages come with a lot more effects when they're for a week straight than they would when your average rainstorm hits, okay? They can be completely devastating, and that makes it even worse for the people of Venezuela. Oh, but don't you worry. There's still a lot of fun to be had in Venezuela, even when the power is on. So, I heard a lot of stuff about how we supposedly have a racist police force in the country, or we have a corrupt police force, and certainly that's true in some parts of the nation, but as a collective whole, I would argue that it's not, but that's a whole other topic for another episode. So anyways, in Venezuela, they definitely have a corrupt police force. This comes in the form of the FAES, or the FAES, as I like to call them. These are Maduro's special police forces. If that didn't sound terrifying enough, let me just fill you in on two main details that you gotta know about these guys. One, they recruit criminals into their police force. And two, they get handouts from the government, super preferential treatment. According to Camilla, these military people and the people that are basically protecting Maduro, they get handouts from the government, whether it be corrupt judicial systems or a shipment of food that suddenly went wrong or suddenly got lost. I don't know. Well, I don't know how it turned up at the general's house. Mm -hmm. They wear skull masks, so they're completely anonymous, unprosecu basically unprosecutable. It's terrifying. Justice in Venezuela is not justice at all. Speaking of this idea of oppression, because we have a corrupt police force in Venezuela that we now know about, this idea of oppression was obviously a topic that I had to hit on. And so my third question was, do you feel oppressed by the government in Venezuela? And here is what she said to that question. All the time. We don't have freedom of speech. Going out to the streets without knowing if we're going to return. Those of us who are young will not have a good adolescence to remember. To be able to go out and enjoy our youth because we fear our lives and our security. So, rather than me talk to you about how dangerous Venezuela is, I figured I'd let Camilla and her experience speak for itself. So while we were talking, she told me this story about her neighbor, and I feel like it really does underline how dangerous a country Venezuela really is. I'll let you listen. Imagine how it's like to live there with all the... We have this... How do you describe a people that commits a lot of robberies and stuff like that? Malandro is the word we use for it. And um, there's a lot of those people with guns. Um, they get into people's houses and take everything away, kill them. It happens all the time, all the time. Like, it don't matter what place. My neighbor, two doors away from my house, um, their aunt died because she was sick. 
And then we were at the church. Well, I wasn't at the church, but they were going to the church. Her niece was getting into the church and she had a car and she was waiting for the gate to open up. And then this guy pulled out a, a gun and asked her to get out of the car and she resisted and she said no. And then the guy shoot her on the on her mouth and she literally just died. She died right away. So it wasn't only a funeral and everything for the aunt, it was also for the niece. And my mom just got um, in panic really bad. And I remember my mom just um, screaming and crying in the kitchen on the floor really bad because she was dead. And they were friends when they were growing up. And like, I just saw her this morning and she's dead. It's just, it's bad. I remember how all my neighbors just, you know, all of them, crying and making noises. We were sad and worried about what happened and they were just like not even not even church you're safe from those people. It's just it don't matter where you are. There it don't it doesn't really matter. So when I heard the story, it immediately got me thinking, okay, how do I help them? Like 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 there, there's charities, surely, you know, there's the United Nations, you got the Red Cross, you have all those charities. And if we have all these donation efforts, how are these people hungry? How is it that we can have all of these efforts and all the chaos is still persistent? And so my fourth question is concerning this. My fourth question is, do you think humanitarian aid really reaches the people of Venezuela? And I followed it up with, in the United States, we hear that the government is actually blocking humanitarian aid to the people of Venezuela. Is this true or is it just fake news? And here is what Camilla said to that question. All the people surveyed for this question answered the same. I don't know anyone who has received the aid. Nor do my relatives know anyone who has received the aid. The humanitarian aid that is sent from outside upon arrival to Venezuela, the government holds on to it and burns it because they claim that us Venezuelans do not need it. We don't need the help and for that reason they return it or get rid of it. The government doesn't accept these humanitarian aids that are being offered to our country that come from the borders because it would be the same as saying, yes, we need the help. They try to cover the reality of Venezuelans, saying that we are happy and that we don't need help, when truly there are people in the country that is in need and dying to have the humanitarian aid. This is where the Venezuela story turns from a news story into a action story. This is where us, at home in the United States can potentially help these people in Venezuela. And so naturally, this is where the bulk of my research went. I came up with a little timeline of the Venezuelan aid debacle. Obviously, this is not the entire story, but it's enough to understand the crisis and why everything is so bad. In February of 2019, in a New York Times article titled, Maduro closes border with Brazil to block aid. It says this, President Nicolas Maduro of Venezuela ordered its border with Brazil closed 
Thursday as a part of his escalating effort to stop opponents from sending humanitarian aid into his poverty-stricken country. Juan Guaido, which is the opposition leader, has vowed to bring tons of aid donated by the United States and others into Venezuela on Saturday. Mr. Maduro, who has called Mr. Guaido a American lackey, has vowed not to let the aid in. He basically wants his people to starve. The Venezuelan government also said that they planned to block humanitarian aid from three Caribbean islands where Guaido's opposition planned to stage relief efforts. And Maduro says it's better to prevent than to regret. The paranoia of this Mario ripoff is keeping food from his people. What an absolute chromosome cupcake. I cannot imagine being ruled by this fat Luigi. He grows larger by the day as his people grow thinner by the hour. Another New York Times article from the following month says footage contradicts the United States claim that Nicolas Maduro burned a convoy. So this is the article that I remembered when I asked the question, right? This is what kind of got me curious. I remember seeing this back last year. It says top United States officials have said that the Maduro regime burned an aid convoy last month. The TV footage contradicts the claim and shows how this unverified information spread across Twitter and television. The opposition itself, not Mr. Maduro's men, appears to have set the cargo alight accidentally. That's right, evil Trump. You're wrong again. The article continues. Okay, it didn't actually say that part about evil Trump. But the article says, at one point, a homemade bomb made from a bottle is hurled towards the police who were, key detail, blocking a bridge connecting Colombia and Venezuela to prevent the aid trucks from getting through. Remember that one. The article says, but the rag used to light the Molotov cocktail separates from the bottle, flying towards the aid truck instead. The Times contacted American officials about this issue, and they released a news statement that says, Eyewitness accounts indicate that, that the fire started when Maduro's forces violently blocked the entry of humanitarian assistance. It did not specify that Maduro's forces lit the fire, but American officials also noted that whatever the circumstances, they held Mr. Maduro responsible because he blocked the aid trucks that day, punishing Venezuelans in need. His thugs denied the entry of tons of food and medicine, while thousands of courageous volunteers sought to safeguard and deliver aid to Venezuelan families. When you're reading this article, you have to realize that the New York Times really ran a major, major article, okay? This is, this is a big one. Just to prove the United States wrong on two things. That one, no, the Maduro regime technically didn't write the aid on fire. And two, how the aid contained medicine when it actually contained medical supplies. Like, this is why nobody trusts the media anymore because they're so nitpicky and, and they'll nitpick so many things just to get at evil Trump. Like, what kind of garbage is this? There's also this narrative going around that Trump is actually responsible for the lack of aid getting to the Venezuelan people. And I don't, I really don't mean to politicize this in, in any way, shape, or form. This is obviously not about our domestic politics, but I really just noticed this and I really just have to say something about it. One huge problem with this narrative that the United States is responsible. According to a joint study from the Harvard and the Brookings Institution, the United States sanctions aren't responsible for the suffering. That suffering began largely before the sanctions even started. 
Another problem with this claim comes from the official descriptions of the sanctions by the United States government itself, which which I read, and I also linked down below. This, th this isn't even a case of the problems being exacerbated, which is worsened, by the aforementioned pre-existing issues. The sanctions exclude food, agricultural commodities, and medicine, and that claim that the United States is at fault for any of this hell is completely, completely despicable and is absolutely fake news. You cannot believe, I cannot believe these people when they said that, and I cannot believe the state of our media here that they would blame the Trump administration for causing this hell that is in this country. That is just awful, awful journalism. So the timeline continues in April of 2019. This is when the Venezuelan government allowed the Red Cross to send in 24 tons of medical equipment on Tuesday, marking the beginning of a large-scale relief campaign intended to ease mal malnutrition and the spread of disease in the crisis-stricken country. So, obviously, the Venezuelan government has redeemed themselves, and they're so great, and they're so awesome, you know, peace to the world, yada yada yada, as you find out later. Despite the enormity of the population's need, the delivery of humanitarian aid has become a political battle between the president, Nicolas Maduro, and Venezuela's opposition. That's very funny wording there. It should be political battle between the tyrant, Nicolas Maduro, and Venezuela's rightful president, Juan Guaido, and his virtuous rebel movement. But I'm no article writer. For a strong man, it's never about the people. Always about the power. And this proves it. Maduro was never for the people. He was always just for the power. So even though the Red Cross was able to send medical equipment, supplies, food, what have you, into Venezuela, it's being blunted by the garbage politics inside of the country. And I would go to say the government handouts, as we covered earlier, that Maduro is probably sending to his military and the face or the, or the police force that works for him and keeps him in power because he wants them to continue to protect him. It's just how dictators work, people. If you Google Venezuela on the internet, probably one of the first things that you will find out about it is it has an incredible, incredible rate of inflation. Now, in this podcast, we won't really go over why that is, but well, let me tell you, it has a lot to do with governmental mismanagement if you'd like to read more about it. Inflation is when one currency becomes incredibly, incredibly devalued. Let's just say one million of one currency equals one unit of another. It becomes worthless, completely worthless. This is exactly what happened in Venezuela. The Bolivar, which is Venezuela's currency, is completely, completely worthless and literally grows in worthlessness by the hour to the United States dollar. Everybody wants to get their hands on this stronger United States dollar in order to preserve their earnings or preserve their wealth if you're a company inside of Venezuela. My final question concerns this currency problem. My final question is this. Since the Venezuelan currency, which is again the Bolivar, is devalued so much, what do you guys do to get your hands on dollars and get rid of the worthless Bolivar? Here is what Camilla said to my final question. Look, honestly, the majority of the people like myself have small side jobs apart from our regular jobs. We ask to be paid in dollars and they do. 
We don't know if the money is coming through drug traffickers, but there is an abundance of dollars in Venezuela, and sometimes we get more dollars than bolivars. And to exchange dollars to bolivars, one generally will post on their WhatsApp status such amount of dollars are being sold via mobile payment or by transfers. So then they are transferred at the rate of the day. The indicators are Instagram pages called monitor today or dollar today where they tell you the average exchange rate generally the dollar has two prices at nine in the morning they publish the price for the morning and at one in the afternoon they update the price these past days the price has shot up it went up to 200 and something but now it started to decrease and is now at 187 so it just keeps fluctuating there are others out there that would say that Inflation is just rising, rising, rising prices. And while that is true, that is just a effect of inflation. I won't explain inflation here, but what you need to know is Venezuela has moved past traditional inflation. Venezuela is in what's called hyperinflation. Hyperinflation is hard to grasp. It's kind of like zero gravity is hard to grasp. It's where money stops working. It doesn't hold any sort of value. You get rid of it as fast as you possibly can. If you're paid in boulevards, you go out and you buy anything. Because with that something, say you get paid in boulevards and you go out and buy a pair of sunglasses. That sunglasses can be traded for something later. The boulevards cannot. That's how worthless the boulevard is. I watched a documentary where people are literally making bags out of boulevards, stitching them together like we stitch together cloth, and then going across the border to, say, Colombia or another country and selling the bags and making a profit. It's unimaginable to us, but is the daily reality of these Venezuelans who live with a currency that isn't just worthless, it doesn't work. It doesn't do anything. Another thing is, there's two sets of currency exchange rates. One is the government's official exchange rate, which is long lost touch with reality. And the second is the black market exchange rate. If you're visiting Venezuela, you use this black market exchange rate. The black market exchange rate is obviously it changes by the hour. And it's the one where you're checking the Instagram pages, you're checking the WhatsApp pages, you're checking whatever you can to get this black market exchange rate, according to what I've heard. You cannot go through the government because then you'll, you'll get nothing for what your dollar is actually worth on the black market. So you find yourself a dollar dealer and you say, look, I have maybe $100 and I want to, get, I want to convert them into boulevards. And so your black market dealer will say, okay, you know, the rate is X and you'll do the exchange. You'll probably wire it to his electronic bank account, probably an offshore bank account because... Obviously, you don't want to store any sort of money in Venezuela because of the political turmoil. And you'll get the boulevards sent back to you. This is true with any sort of currency because the Venezuelan currency is incredibly inflated in relation to any currency around the world. While we may not be able to grasp hyperinflation, we can certainly grasp the effects of it. This is where it gets really heavy, people. Venezuela's Living Conditions Survey found that 75% of the population lost an average of at least 19 pounds in 2016 due to a lack of proper nutrition amid an economic crisis. 93% of Venezuelans don't have enough money to cover their food expenses. 
The daily diet in Venezuela, healthy fats and snacks are basically a myth. 78% of people said they eat breakfast and 32% of the people said they only eat twice a day. The food crisis is compounded by more though. It's also created an education crisis as more than a million children in Venezuela no longer attend school, mostly due to hunger and a lack of public services. 30% of those students surveyed now stay home, don't attend school because of water problems at home or on campus. 22% don't attend because of electricity blackouts and 15% don't attend due to school strikes. And 10% said a lack of food at home or in school was the reason for their absence. They, they, simply, they simply can't get up in the morning because they're too hungry to go to school, to get an education. This is the state, and this is the culmination of this governmental mismanagement, of this inflation, of all these problems. That's the result. That's the result right there. Kids not being able to go to school, being too hungry to get an education, being too hungry to possibly get themselves out of the mess that they have no control over. We may not be able to grasp hyperinflation or the government of Venezuela, but we can certainly, as humans, as human beings, grasp that. You may care, but I really wouldn't fault you at all for saying to yourself, albeit silently, why should we care in the middle of a pandemic and when I don't have my job and I don't have my money? The truth is, I can't give you a really good answer, but I can say this. When we didn't care about the poor conditions in China, when we didn't care about the poor conditions in Wuhan, disease sprung up. To me, the governmental mismanagement in other countries is never, as COVID has proven, ever that far away. To me, now is the time to help those really less fortunate. Now more than ever, because of the virus and the global pandemic that is probably hitting Venezuela incredibly hard as I speak. As I record this, Venezuelans are probably dying from coronavirus. It's bad. Now look, I'm not going to ask you to donate or anything like that. I am going to, if you would like to help, ask you to do something different. Venezuela isn't talked about at all. Nobody knows about Venezuela. I guarantee you, the next Olive Garden you walk into after listening to this episode, boom, you're the most knowledgeable person about Venezuela unless there's a native in there. It really honestly needs to be a part of the discourse in our lives. If we start talking about this, you never know who you're talking to. That applies with anything. You never know who exactly you're talking to. If anything, and at a base level, it's really just a good conversation starter. And at a high level, you really could be helping a people in need by just talking to that right person. So I do encourage you to send maybe the link of this episode or an article that I've linked to a person that you know, and you can spread a interesting fact and at most a people in need to the person that you know. The spread of information is more powerful than the spread of money. And on that note, I'm going to wrap up this podcast. Thank you for listening. I have made a Instagram for this podcast. If you'd like to follow, 
You can follow me on Instagram at the underscore A-M-P-P underscore show. So the AMP show. And that's where I'll post little video clips of the episodes and updates on the episodes and stuff like that. So follow me there if you would like. If you would not like, then just don't follow me. I mean, like, what? what? Anyways, thank you for listening. Spread the word about Venezuela and have a more perfect day.